Today's engaging topic comes courtesy of our perceptive listener, Abolition 666. Yeah, talking freedom and liberation. Worldwide, not just only for the nation. A radical guide, it's time to make changes. Bringing interviews and radical education. Yeah, yeah, a better future. Welcome to episode 20 of A Radical Podcast. It's astonishing to reach this point, and we owe it all to you, our discerning and dedicated listeners. I'm Jason Bayless guiding you through the complex terrains of anarchism, social change, and the narratives less traveled. Today, we're tackling a crisis you can't afford to ignore, homelessness. We've got a tapestry of segments prepared to inform and challenge your viewpoints. A heartfelt shout out to Abolition 666 for leading us down this path. First up in our radical and anarchist news segment, we'll hone in on San Francisco. It's a city of contradictions, where tech wealth lives side by side with growing homeless encampments. We'll dissect the city's contentious sweeps and the legal pushback they're facing. Next, in resistance around the world, we cast a wider net to scrutinize the homelessness crisis on a global scale. Expect to hear about self-managed encampments, the political and social forces trying to dismantle them, and a critique of homelessness within capitalist frameworks. And we're highlighting the impactful work of Poor Magazine, a group pioneering innovative solutions for housing justice. Then, in About a Radical Guide, we're spotlighting a collective that's been fighting for the rights of squatters and the homeless since the 1970s. So brace yourselves for this journey that will arm you with new perspectives, insights, and the resolve to instigate change in a world crying out for it. Let's go! Folks, we've hit a new low, or should I say San Francisco has. The city, a supposed bastion of liberalism and progressive ideas, is practically tripping over itself in the courts, fighting tooth and nail to maintain the right to displace homeless people via police and sanitation sweeps. Forget about effective long-term solutions. It's all about optics. In December, a court decided that San Francisco couldn't keep conducting these so-called sweeps unless they had sufficient shelter for the homeless. A rational person might think, hey, that's fair, but not Governor Gavin Newsom or San Francisco Mayor London Breed. They labeled the court's decision as inhumane and criminal, blaming the judiciary for preventing the city from helping the homeless. And just what does this help look like? Contrary to public claims, lawyers representing San Francisco weren't even arguing that the city aims to provide housing. No. The argument boiled down to a plea for autonomy, saying that the Ninth Circuit Court ruling was too vague and disempowering for the city. In other words, they want the leeway to continue disrupting lives without providing any solutions. Even the city's own data contradicts its claims. They report that the shelters are at 90% capacity. Meanwhile, a UCLA sociologist pointed out that only about 10 to 50 shelter beds are vacant at any given time in a city where around 4,400 people are unsheltered. So it's not about a lack of data, it's about a lack of will. The city's lawyers had the audacity to say that providing sufficient shelter as a prerequisite for sweeps would cost the city $5 billion. Well, I say, how about treating homelessness as a systemic issue that deserves billions in investment? For that kind of money, you could create a long-term solution rather than a perpetual cycle of displacement. You see, the city wants to keep up the facade of offering solutions. They claim they ask people on the streets if they're interested in shelter before proceeding with enforcement. But asking someone if they're interested in shelter without actually offering a real solution is not just cynical, it's cruel. 
It's not a bona fide offer. It's a pretext for removal. Now, the courts might introduce a third-party arbiter to scrutinize the city's actions. This extra layer of bureaucracy is no solution, but it will make it harder for the city to claim ignorance or ambiguity about what's really going on. The moral of this story is that San Francisco officials are far more concerned with optics and short-term political gains than addressing the root causes of homelessness. Their insistence on sweeps, absent real solutions, is not just a resource drain. It's a travesty that lays bare the bankruptcy of political will. So, what's on the horizon? Most likely a courtroom drama that twists words and terms in an attempt to eke out loopholes. Because let's face it, the city doesn't want to build out the shelter system or create permanent housing. They want to continue playing this game of legal whack-a-mole, dodging responsibilities while perpetuating the misery of thousands. This is a classic example of the state wielding its power against the powerless, pretending to solve a problem that it is, in fact, perpetuating. It's a grim reality, but one that's crucial to understand if we are ever to advance beyond this sorry state of affairs. And that is where San Francisco and many of the cities in the U.S. stands today in its approach to homelessness, short on solutions, long on excuses, and forever at odds with the very principles it claims to uphold. Today we're peeling back the layers on an issue that's often pushed to society's margins. Homelessness. While the mainstream narrative may paint homelessness as an isolated issue, affecting only a handful of unfortunate individuals, let's be clear. Homelessness is not just a U.S. problem, but a global crisis. The International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies estimates that more than 100 million people are living on the streets worldwide. And in the United States, the epicenter of global capitalism, over half a million people are homeless on any given night. But this segment isn't just about the staggering numbers or the heart-wrenching anecdotes. Our aim is to dig deeper, to question the very structures that perpetuate homelessness and the forms of resistance that challenge them. So in this episode, we'll be unveiling the intrinsic relationship between homelessness and capitalism. We'll tackle the thorny issue of whether homelessness is a systemic inevitability within capitalist societies. Moving on to the concept of sweeps forced evacuations, and dispersals of homeless communities. Who's fighting against this, and how are they doing it? And finally, we'll dive into the intriguing world of self-governed encampments, which serve as both alternative governance models and bastions of resistance against a system that has failed them. We won't just stop at identifying problems. We'll also be introducing you to Poor Magazine, a pioneering entity that's putting forth radical community-based solutions to this very issue. Stay with us as we navigate through these critical topics, all with the intent of not just understanding the world, but changing it. What is capitalism's role? Let's start with the basics. Capitalism is an economic system where private entities own and control the production of goods and services. The motive, profit, the method, market competition. In such a system, value is placed on things that can generate wealth, usually to the benefit of those who already have it. So what happens to those who don't contribute to this profit-making machine? Well, they're often pushed to the margins, becoming what Karl Marx described as the reserve army of labor, a marginalized group that's available for exploitation when needed, but otherwise left to their own devices. Take housing, for example. In a capitalist society, housing is primarily viewed as a commodity, something to be bought, sold, and invested in rather than a basic human right. 
developers are more inclined to build luxury apartments with high profit margins rather than affordable housing. Why? The profit incentive discourages creating homes for those who need it most. The famous economist Milton Friedman once quipped, the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. But what about social responsibility towards providing a home for everyone? In this system, that takes a back seat. The commodification of housing also extends to land. Cities prioritize land use that will generate the highest revenue. Think skyscrapers, not shelters. This is evident in zoning laws that prioritize commercial and high-income residential use over community and low-income residential spaces. All these elements work in tandem to ensure that homelessness is not just an unfortunate byproduct, but an almost natural outcome in a system designed this way. And then there's the notion of blame in capitalism. Homeless individuals are often portrayed as failures, people who couldn't capitalize on the opportunities the system allegedly provides. But philosopher Slavoj Zizek counters this by pointing out that capitalism itself thrives on systemic failures. He argues that failure is a key feature of capitalism, which thrives on instability and inequality. So when we say homelessness is a built-in feature of capitalism, we're pointing to the rules of the game. These rules ensure that those who can't participate in the profit-centric ethos of capitalism are devalued, displaced, and ultimately left without a home. This isn't a bug. It's a feature, a tragic, unacceptable feature of a system that many accept as inevitable. Capitalism isn't just an economic system. It's also a generator of social conditions that infiltrate different facets of society. In this discussion, we're going to dissect how capitalism's imprints are evident in sectors like healthcare, education, and the criminal justice system, each a pillar that contributes to the issue of homelessness. Wealth inequality isn't an unfortunate byproduct. It's a design feature of capitalist mechanisms like wage labor and capital accumulation. According to the World Inequality Report 2022, the richest 1% of the global population owns a staggering 38% of all global wealth, while the bottom 50% owns a measly 2%. In practical terms, this isn't just a statistical chasm. It's the difference between having access to nutritious food, quality education, and healthcare, or winding up living on the streets. Take the United States as a glaring example. The richest 1% owns more than 40% of all wealth, while the bottom 50% owns less than 1%. This isn't a kink. It's a feature of the system, made even more glaring by how the COVID-19 pandemic has amplified these existing inequalities. As Angela Davis eloquently put it, we live under economic, political, and social conditions that enable 1% of the population to control 99% of the world's wealth. This grossly unequal distribution of resources doesn't just set the stage for homelessness, it practically lays down a red carpet for it. Now let's shift our focus to healthcare. In capitalist societies like the U.S., healthcare is often more about profit than well-being. In real-world terms, think about this. An average emergency room visit can cost you as much as monthly rent or even more. So, if you're already living paycheck to paycheck, a sudden illness can tip you over into outright homelessness. As Noam Chomsky aptly remarked, it's a system where inherent human rights are a gift from the state, which can be rescinded at will, rather than the condition of a decent society. Moving on to education, where, as the saying goes, knowledge is power. But what power can you accrue when your zip code determines the quality of that knowledge? In the United States, 
Public education funding hinges largely on local property taxes. Wealthy neighborhoods have schools with modern resources and experienced teachers. In contrast, impoverished areas face underfunded schools, meaning outdated textbooks, crumbling infrastructure, and overworked educators. Economist Paul Krugman summarized the vicious cycle, stating, Income inequality begets educational inequality, which begets income inequality. This compromised education restricts job opportunities, keeps people in low-wage jobs, and ultimately feeds the ever-revolving door of homelessness. Last but not least, let's examine the role of the criminal justice system. It often acts as a conveyor belt, leading directly to homelessness. Picture growing up in an underfunded school district with limited job prospects. You get caught in a minor legal infraction, perhaps marijuana possession. Suddenly, you're ensnared in the justice system. Legal scholar Michelle Alexander captured the essence of this, stating, Mass incarceration operates as a tightly networked system of laws, policies, customs, and institutions that operate collectively to ensure the subordinate status of a group defined largely by race. Post-incarceration, most job applications and many housing options become impenetrable barriers. This trifecta of systemic discrimination makes extricating oneself from potential homelessness nearly impossible. Each of these pillars, capitalism, healthcare, education, and the criminal justice system, doesn't operate in isolation. These are interconnected elements that collectively fuel the engine of homelessness, and they are all nourished by the fertile ground of capitalist inequality. Understanding these root causes equips us not just with analytical tools, but also with the conceptual ammunition needed to disrupt and ultimately dismantle these oppressive structures. As we journey further, we will explore how people around the world are rising up to challenge these systems, aspiring not just to mend the symptoms, but to uproot the very causes that make homelessness a chronic issue. But first, let us examine how these systems do not only displace people, but also uproot their dignity. On that note, it's urgent to discuss the disconcerting practice of sweeps and the various avenues of resistance against this devastating policy. Sweeps are the orchestrated attempts by municipal governments to dismantle homeless encampments and effectively push homeless individuals out of public view. The negative impact on those experiencing homelessness is immeasurable. Displacement from already precarious living conditions intensifies their struggle and vulnerability. Several organizations are taking up the mantle to combat these inhumane sweeps. Among them is Poor Magazine, which offers a platform for the houseless community to voice their concerns and experiences. Their unique blend of investigative journalism and activism serves as a wake-up call to society about the draconian measures employed against the most vulnerable. Organizations like Food Not Bombs and the CCSF Collective are also on the front line, offering immediate essentials like food and blankets. While commendable, these are only interim solutions, as the root issues remain unaddressed. In the legal arena, multiple efforts are afoot to halt these sweeps. Many have been vocal in calling to cancel these sweeps, resonating with several legal actions against municipalities. Take, for example, the City of Oakland's planned sweep of Wood Street Commons. For those who might not be aware, Wood Street Commons is a significant encampment in Oakland that has become a focal point in the battle over homelessness policies. Legal arguments claim that the sweeps are unconstitutional, violating Eighth Amendment rights against cruel and unusual punishment. These legal efforts amplify the outcry against sweeps, further pressuring local governments to reevaluate their strategies. Community involvement is indispensable for halting sweeps, a sentiment echoed by Poor Magazine 
emphasizing that the houseless community has solutions to these complex problems. Therefore, what's needed from the broader community is not just material assistance, but a commitment to listen and act upon the insights and demands of houseless individuals. While concrete examples of successful resistance to sweeps are scarce, the importance of listening to and acting on the needs and suggestions of those most impacted cannot be overstated. This reminds us that genuine solutions can only emerge when those most affected are involved in crafting them. It hints that the path to successful resistance begins with inclusive dialogue and participatory action. Now, let's turn our attention to self-governed encampments. Self-governed encampments are communities usually comprising houseless individuals who establish their own rules and systems of governance, typically in opposition to the norms of mainstream society. These encampments often emerge as a dual response, initially out of a desperation precipitated by systemic failures inherent to capitalist models and later evolving into intentional communities that challenge capitalist narratives around property, value, and individualism. While capitalism has led to a lack of affordable housing and social safety nets, pushing people into these self-governed spaces, the encampments themselves often engage in anti-capitalist practices like shared resources, mutual aid, and community-driven decision-making. They thus serve not only as spaces of refuge, but also as experiments in alternative social and economic models that challenge the mainstream capitalist ethos. These historical antecedents echo back to the diggers' agrarian communities of 17th century England, the squatters' movements in Europe, and even the temporary autonomous zones. Many of these self-governed encampments actively engage in anti-capitalist practices, whether consciously or out of necessity. Shared resources, mutual aid, and community-driven decision-making are antithetical to capitalism's emphasis on individualism and competition. In operating on principles like direct democracy and communal ownership, these encampments stand as living critiques of capitalist governance and property relations. Self-governed encampments can be considered laboratories for economic experimentation. Their detachment from conventional social structures allows them to challenge traditional market-based economies and flirt with economic models that emphasize community, mutual aid, and sustainability over profit and competition. In a barter system, goods and services are exchanged directly without using money. This challenges the very cornerstone of capitalist economies, the currency system, which inherently holds power structures. By eliminating money, participants return to an elemental form of trade that fosters community interaction, breaking down the barriers set by class or financial standing. Another economic innovation that emerges in these spaces is the concept of free stores or really, really free markets. These are communal spaces where goods can be taken or given without the expectation of a monetary exchange. This sort of economy emphasizes abundance over scarcity and community well-being over individual accumulation. It contradicts the capitalist narrative of value that is often measured in monetary terms, presenting an alternative idea of worth based on utility, necessity, and community bonding. Some encampments also experiment with time banking, a system where services are exchanged based on time rather than monetary value. For example, an hour of childcare could be exchanged for an hour of carpentry. Time banking disrupts the capitalist logic of specialized skills having more market value than others as it levels the playing field and acknowledges the intrinsic worth of all types of work. It's also common for these encampments to feature communal ownership of property and resources. 
Gardens, kitchens, and workshops are jointly owned and managed, which not only eliminates the concept of private property, but also challenges the capitalist notion of resource allocation, often predicated on scarcity and competition. Some communities go a step further and embrace the concept of open source sharing of knowledge and skills, whether it's farming techniques, construction methods, or community governance models, this transparent sharing of information counters the capitalist tendencies toward intellectual property and competitive advantage. Some encampments operate under the principle of a gift economy, where goods and services are given without any explicit agreement for immediate or future rewards. This subverts the transactional nature of capitalist interactions, focusing instead on building social bonds and mutual respect. In a broader context, these economic experiments offer tantalizing glimpses into ways society could organize itself beyond the confines of market capitalism. They serve as real-world rebuttals to the fatalistic notion that there are no alternatives to our current economic paradigm. So, while self-governed encampments often arise as a result of capitalist failure, they also represent a hothouse for ideas that could, in the long term, provide the blueprints for a more equitable world. In these microcosms, we see not just a rejection of capitalist economics, but a proactive search for more humane, equitable alternatives that prioritize the community over the individual and basic human needs over profits and growth. This renders self-governed encampments significant not only as acts of resistance, but also as arenas for sketching out the rudiments of alternative economic systems. It's crucial to understand that self-governed encampments are both products of capitalism's failures and experiments in alternative ways of organizing society. They embody a tension between the system they're forced to operate within and the new world they attempt to create, making them not just spaces of refuge, but also fertile grounds for ideological and practical resistance against capitalist norms. You won't find the seeds of change in the corridors of power, but at the grassroots, where ordinary people are organizing to challenge the capitalist structures that perpetuate homelessness. Consider the housing justice movements as a prime example. It's not just about people holding signs and protesting. The organizing work often starts in community centers or small gatherings where renters, fed up with exorbitant costs and subpar living conditions, come together to discuss their rights. Take the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment, which actively trains renters in California to resist evictions and fight for more equitable housing policies. Tenant unions are not just groups of disgruntled renters. They often become well-structured organizations with legal advisors, creating handbooks on tenant rights, and even developing emergency funds to support those facing immediate eviction. Mutual aid groups are another fascinating area of resistance. These aren't your average charity organizations operating from a top-down model. Mutual aid groups, such as Food Not Bombs, operate horizontally. Volunteers are not seen as benevolent givers, but as equal participants in a reciprocal network. Food is collected, sorted, and cooked by volunteers, and then distributed freely to anyone who needs it, including the homeless. It's a paradigm shift from capitalist charity models that often perpetuate dependency and stigmatize the receivers. Now let's bring in the words of Ruth Wilson Gilmore, an abolitionist scholar who profoundly observed, capitalism requires inequality and racism enshrines it. This thought provokes the question, how can movements like Black Lives Matter, which focus on racial and social justice, be understood within the larger struggle against capitalist-induced homelessness? When such movements bring attention to systemic racial inequality, they inadvertently shed light on the factors that contribute to homelessness among marginalized communities. 
And finally, let's not underestimate the power of digital activism in this age. Hashtags, believe it or not, do more than trend. They raise awareness. Movements like hashtag Homes Guarantee have been pivotal in getting the attention of lawmakers and putting housing issues on the political agenda. While a hashtag alone won't change policy, the collective voice it amplifies can't be easily ignored. So yes, resistance isn't a single, unified front, but a mosaic of efforts, each chipping away at different parts of the capitalist structure that perpetuates homelessness. Each of these actions, be it a legal battle won by a tenants union or a single meal provided by a mutual aid group, functions as a subversive act, undermining the capitalist narrative that commodifies basic human needs. While we've highlighted the myriad forms of resistance that are shaking the very foundations of the capitalist structures perpetuating homelessness, it's vital to understand that these efforts are part of an evolving tapestry of action and ideas. Just as different threads contribute to the strength and pattern of a fabric, these various movements and strategies inform and reinforce each other, offering vital lessons that can be adapted and applied in diverse contexts. Now you may wonder, what comes next? How do we take these seeds of resistance and help them grow into fully realized solutions? That's where the ingenuity and activism of groups like Poor Magazine come into play. They not only amplify the voices of those often marginalized, but also put forth actionable, community-driven solutions to tackle homelessness head-on. These aren't just theoretical models, but are rooted in real-life applications that have a tangible impact. So, as we segue into examining the remarkable work being done by Poor Magazine, remember that each initiative, each victory, no matter how small, creates ripples that can bring about waves of change. Stay tuned, because we're about to explore some of the most groundbreaking and community-centered solutions that show us not just the possibility, but the reality of a more equitable future. Poor Magazine is not your typical social justice organization. It's a movement in itself. Born out of a collective desire to amplify marginalized voices, its mission goes beyond mere advocacy. The organization is deeply rooted in the communities it serves, focusing on issues that directly impact the poor, the unhoused, and those who have been systematically sidelined. Far from a top-down structure, it's a collaborative platform where community wisdom meets activism, resulting in actionable solutions that are by the people and for the people. Before we explore the various solutions that tackle homelessness and systemic inequality, it's crucial to introduce you to a key player in this space, Poor Magazine. Founded by Lisa Gray Garcia and Dee Gray, this Oakland-based, grassroots, poor people-led nonprofit arts organization is not just a local force, but part of a broader, global tapestry of indigenous and poor people's movements. This includes affiliations with the landless people's movements, the homeless workers movement, and Take Back the Land. Rooted in both art and activism, Poor Magazine serves as a hub for community engagement, learning, and direct action. With this foundational understanding, you'll better appreciate the ingenious solutions they've engineered. One of Poor Magazine's most transformative initiatives is the Homefulness Project. Think of it as co-housing, but reimagined through a lens of social justice and radical compassion. Rather than just providing shelter, the Homefulness Project empowers its residents through collective ownership. It combines housing with education, art, and communal enterprise, ensuring that those who come in with little more than the clothes on their back have the chance to participate in a nurturing, self-sufficient community. The Homefulness Project is a living testament to the resilience and vision of poor, houseless, 
indigenous, evicted, and disabled communities, among others who have been subjected to various forms of displacement and criminalization. Situated in East Huchion, known commonly as Oakland, homefulness is far more than just a housing initiative. It's a holistic endeavor that serves as both a physical and spiritual sanctuary. Unlike many housing solutions, homefulness doesn't just put a roof over people's heads. It provides a thriving community ecosystem. The project houses families and offers an array of interconnected services and spaces like the Decolonize Academy, People School, and the Community Newsroom. It even extends its boundaries to include food justice initiatives through the Sliding Scale Cafe and promotes indigenous community arts and media through Revolutionary Radio on PNNKEXU and various other poor magazine programs. But what sets homefulness apart most decisively is its audacious vision. It aims to permanently remove land from the speculative real estate market, liberating it in both a physical and spiritual sense. It operates in solidarity with landless people's movements globally and is designed to be a replicable blueprint for the unselling and liberation of land, not just in occupied Turtle Island, but across the world. By doing so, the Homefulness Project confronts capitalist land hoarding and speculation head-on, subverting the typical dynamics that perpetuate homelessness and inequality. It's a multifaceted resistance against a system that not only enables but profits from the displacement and suffering of marginalized communities. Here, Poor Magazine isn't just offering a stopgap measure against homelessness. They're laying down the gauntlet against the capitalist systems that make such homelessness systemic and enduring in the first place. But Poor Magazine's vision isn't confined by geography. The Homefulness Project serves as a template that can be adapted and implemented worldwide, the organization offers educational resources, training modules, and mentorship programs to facilitate similar community housing projects across different locales. This is not just exportable altruism, it's a blueprint for revolutionizing how we think about homelessness and community well-being globally. Shattering traditional educational molds, Poor Magazine also offers what they call stolen land hoarded resources. Untours offers an eye-opening journey into the hidden realities of land use and resource hoarding. These aren't your usual city tours. They are designed to educate participants on the history of colonization, the dynamics of resource hoarding, and the ethical implications of both. Through these untours, Poor Magazine is actively engaged in redistributing both knowledge and resources, mobilizing participants to become allies in the struggle for equitable land use. Initiated on Mama Earth Day in 2016, Poor Magazine's Stolen Land Hoarded Resources Untours are a ground-shifting educational experience that reframes the way we understand property, wealth, and history. Far from your run-of-the-mill sightseeing excursion, these untours are mobilization events that traverse the settler-stolen, police-patrolled landscapes, often reaching into affluent neighborhoods that have benefited directly or indirectly from land theft and resource hoarding. The untours serve multiple functions. They educate, they challenge, and they advocate for change. Participants are not just spectators. They are invited into a space of active learning and ethical reckoning. The untours cover the difficult topics of colonization's history, the ongoing hoarding of resources by wealthy communities, and the ethical ramifications of both. Through this engaged educational model, the tours aim to prompt radical redistribution and inspire community reparations, directly confronting participants who may be inheritors of stolen lands or resources. In essence, these untours are not merely about redistribution of knowledge. They are about the redistribution of responsibility and resources. 
They demand more than passive engagement. They call for active participation in restructuring our collective ethical landscape. By doing so, the Untours underscore Poor Magazine's broader goal of achieving equitable land use and systemic change, mobilizing participants to become more than allies, to become active agents in a long overdue shift towards justice. Another project offered by Poor Magazine is the Community Newsroom. In an era where mainstream media often distort the narratives of marginalized communities, Poor Magazine's Community Newsroom emerges as a radical departure from the norm. This isn't your conventional journalism funneled through corporate or institutional filters. Instead, this is a newsmaking circle that transcends traditional media boundaries by embracing art, poetry, talk story, prayer, and music as legitimate forms of news. Operating within a non-hierarchical structure, the community newsroom is a space where people from all walks of life, youth, adults, and elders, are not just heard but empowered to define what news is. Within this circle, participants redefine who is a newsmaker, recognizing that conventional hierarchies often silence the very voices that most need to be heard. Here, the community gathers as a family to collectively decide what stories are worth telling and how they should be told, be it through written words, photographs, spoken accounts, or even televised broadcasts. This inclusive approach not only amplifies voices that are often marginalized, but also enables a more comprehensive and authentic narrative to emerge, both locally and globally. By adopting such an approach, Poor Magazine's Community Newsroom offers more than just an alternative to traditional journalism. It provides a potent critique of a media landscape that often fails the impoverished and marginalized. It invites community members to participate actively in the shaping of their own stories thereby enriching public discourse with perspectives that are frequently overlooked or misrepresented. Addressing the immediate needs of the community, Poor Magazine also operates a sliding-scale cafe. This initiative disrupts the traditional food distribution system by providing meals on a pay-what-you-can basis. Located at Homefulness on the sidewalks of Huichin, East Oakland, Poor Magazine's sliding-scale cafe is more than just a food distribution center. It's a radical act of community care. Taking place every Thursday at 12 p.m., this cafe doesn't merely disrupt traditional food distribution, it transcends it. Instead of perpetuating a capitalist system that often alienates those it's supposed to serve, the Sliding Scale Cafe offers a poor people's solution that proactively redistributes resources to Black, Brown, and Indigenous families in the area who are grappling with challenges. Here, you'll find more than hot meals. The cafe also provides essential household items like groceries, diapers, paper products, and cleaning supplies. It's a holistic approach aimed at empowering those who often find themselves at the short end of societal inequities. These efforts are not simply charitable donations, but come from the Bank of Community Reparations, as well as contributions from other community organizations. This framework not only provides immediate relief, but also fosters a model of radical redistribution and community reparations, underscoring the interconnectedness of the community and the shared responsibility to uplift one another. By redefining what it means to feed and support a community, the Sliding Scale Cafe elevates the notion of mutual aid, transforming it into a long-term commitment to community well-being. It's not about pay what you can, it's about creating a sustainable ecosystem that nurtures its most vulnerable members. In doing so, Poor Magazine not only challenges, but also rewrites the capitalist playbook on resource distribution, replacing transactional systems with ones grounded in communal integrity and ethical redistribution. 
As if Poor Magazine isn't already doing enough, they also offer the Bank of Community Reparations. The Bank of Community Reparations is not just another charitable fund, it's a revolutionary model for redistributing wealth and rectifying systemic inequities. Operating as a national fund, it amasses both redistributed and explicitly recognized stolen wealth to fuel land use projects that are led by poor and indigenous communities. By doing so, the bank doesn't merely aim to ease the symptoms of systemic imbalances. It actively targets the root causes by equalizing opportunities for land ownership and community development. In this framework, financial contributions aren't merely donations. They're acts of ethical and systemic rectification. The funds are strategically redirected towards community land, use projects that are spearheaded by the very populations that have historically been sidelined or exploited. This ensures that resources flow to where they're most needed, turning conventional notions of charity and aid on their head. With its emphasis on both poor and indigenous leadership, the Bank of Community Reparations addresses a critical aspect often overlooked in mainstream discourse, the power dynamics embedded within aid and reparations. By insisting on community-led projects, the bank places agency and decision-making into the hands of those who are most impacted by systemic inequities, thereby modeling a form of reparations that is genuinely empowering and democratically accountable. Thus, the Bank of Community Reparations is more than an initiative. It's a working prototype of how reparations and wealth redistribution can be effectively managed to create lasting change. Through this, it doesn't just provide a corrective to systemic imbalances, but challenges us to rethink how wealth and resources can be more equitably distributed on a broader scale. We chose to highlight Poor Magazine not only to celebrate its groundbreaking initiatives, but also to offer concrete examples that you can bring to your own communities. There's a richness in how Poor Magazine engages in grassroots activism, creating spaces that are truly by the people, for the people. By closely examining their initiatives, we're invited to reimagine the way we understand social justice, community building, and activism. The compelling mix of innovative housing solutions, radical educational models, and community-centered journalism, among other projects, sets Poor Magazine apart as not just a local force, but a global inspiration. The Homefulness Project, the Stolen Land Hoarded Resources Untours, the Community Newsroom, the Sliding Scale Cafe, and the Bank of Community Reparations each serve as valuable lessons in the practice of substantive, transformative change. These are not mere stopgap measures. They are blueprints for a different way of approaching the world's most pressing social challenges, a way that confronts systemic issues and demands a restructuring of societal norms and expectations. In this journey of exploring resistance around the world, Poor Magazine stands as a beacon, a real-world example that challenges us to not just question, but rewrite the rules of a game that has been rigged against marginalized communities for far too long. This organization pushes us to think beyond the limitations of mainstream social justice narratives and engage more deeply with revolutionary concepts that can be applied universally. To learn more about Poor Magazine, you're invited to explore further at RadicalGuide.com or PoorMagazine.org. Remember, Poor Magazine is one word. These platforms provide a wealth of information that can empower you to get involved, donate, or simply learn more about how to bring these revolutionary frameworks into your own life and community. Let's look at what we've covered. We took an in-depth look into the phenomenon of self-governed encampments. These spaces act as both a symptom of capitalist failures and incubators for alternative social and economic systems. 
These encampments don't just offer an immediate solution to homelessness. They also offer a critique of the capitalist framework while experimenting with collective ownership, barter systems, and mutual aid. But encampments are not free from threats, such as sweeps. These eviction tactics not only dismantle communities, but are also symptomatic of the social disavowal of the homeless. Fortunately, there are organizations combating these sweeps through legal actions and community organizing. Their resistance has sometimes been successful, but remains an uphill battle. Moreover, we touched upon the unsettling but unavoidable fact that homelessness is not an accident, but a feature within capitalist economies. Capitalism, with its inherent need for an underclass, has systemic problems like wealth inequality, lack of affordable health care, and inadequate social safety nets, contributing to a cycle of homelessness. Last but not least, we zoomed in on the groundbreaking work by Poor Magazine. Through the Homefulness Project, community-driven newsrooms, and initiatives like the Bank of Community Reparations, they are not just addressing homelessness, but also challenging the entire capitalist system's approach to community, resources, and housing. So what does this all mean for us? as a community of individuals committed to resisting the oppressive norms of capitalism. The imperative is clear. We need both local and global activism. We must amplify the work of organizations like Poor Magazine, support grassroots efforts to prevent sweeps, and take part in or help self-governed encampments. In a world where homelessness is often dismissed as inevitable, each of these efforts, large or small, is a defiant act of resistance. Whether you're engaging in legal battles against unjust sweeps, contributing to alternative economies, or supporting grassroots journalism that shifts the narrative, each action contributes to a larger global movement towards equity, justice, and systemic change. This wraps up our segment on resistance to homelessness in the context of a capitalist world. We have much more to explore, many more battles to fight, but remember, each challenge offers an opportunity for radical change. Let's seize it. Radical education, yeah, yeah, a better future, what we really need, not rooted in capitalism. Today, in our About a Radical Guide segment, let's turn our attention across the Atlantic to London, a city of paradoxes, where extreme wealth often exists just a street away from soul-crushing poverty. Here, the Advisory Service for Squatters, or ASS, has been doing the kind of work that makes you both grateful for its existence and infuriated that it has to exist in the first place. Formed in 1975, ASS is an unpaid collective of dedicated individuals offering daily advice to squatters and the homeless. This collective is a spiritual successor to the Family Squatters Advisory Service from the late 1960s. Over nearly half a century, this service has been a lifeline for people who have been systematically marginalized and pushed into the shadows of a society that often seems more interested in property values than human values. Firstly, Let's talk about their squatter's handbook. This isn't just a pamphlet tossed together overnight. We're talking about a comprehensive manual that has been updated across 14 editions, selling an impressive 150,000 copies since 1976. Each edition serves as a testament to the ongoing necessity of providing grounded practical advice to those taking direct action to solve the housing crisis. It's not merely about squatting. It's about reclaiming spaces that capitalism has left to rot and turning them into homes, into communities. For those of you who are students, journalists, or anyone looking to get spoon-fed information for your next project or article, I've got news for you. ASS is short on both time and resources. The collective operates on a shoestring budget and the altruistic labor of its volunteers. 
That's why they've set up a resource-rich website aimed at providing a wealth of information without draining their already limited human capital. You can find articles, documents, and even squat zines detailing the history and current issues around squatting. And if you're looking for some visual context, their online gallery features photographs that span over 30 years. Each photo tells a story of resistance, of community, and yes, of the constant struggle against a system that prioritizes profit over people. The advisory service for squatters is not just an advisory service. It's a hub of grassroots activism. It's a tangible form of mutual aid. It's a collective that challenges the conventional narratives about property and housing. While policymakers often find themselves stuck in never-ending debates about housing solutions, groups like ASS are on the ground, directly helping people navigate the complexities and risks of squatting. While they're based in London, the lessons and inspiration that come from their work have universal implications. In an era where rising rents and gentrification are making cities increasingly unlivable for the marginalized, the ASS stands as a beacon, reminding us that alternative models of living and community are not only possible but have been in practice for decades. And there you have it. If you find yourself in a position to offer support, whether that's your time or financial resources, they could certainly use the help. Because, as the advisory service for squatters so starkly illustrates, the fight for equitable housing is far from over but with their guidebook in hand, at least you won't be going it alone. For those who are intrigued by the radical, persistent, and absolutely necessary work that ASS is doing, and perhaps are considering ways to either support them or emulate their strategies in your own local struggles, visit RadicalGuide.com for a more in-depth look at this and other initiatives that are taking the theory of resistance and applying it directly where it matters most, on the front lines of social injustice. Let's go! And that's a wrap on today's episode of A Radical Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Bayless. Today's conversations have given us a lot to consider, from the unsettling reality of housing sweeps in San Francisco to the broader issue of homelessness as a global crisis shaped by the systems of capitalism. We also showcase the incredible work being done by grassroots organizations like Poor Magazine, who are offering tangible solutions for some of the most pressing problems of our times. A big shout out to Poor Magazine for their invaluable contributions, and a special thanks to Abolition 666 for selecting today's focal points. Your insights and suggestions enrich our community and deepen our discussions. If what you've heard today has stoked the flames of your activist spirit, let's keep that fire burning. Head over to RadicalGuide.com for more resources and avenues for getting involved. We're in this struggle together, and it's the collective force of our actions that will bring about the radical change we seek. Tune in next week for another episode packed with probing analysis and a renewed call to action. In the meantime, don't just stand on the sidelines. Be part of the change, whether it's local activism, lending a hand to those providing direct services, or simply educating yourself and others. Every action counts. Until next week, let's keep the pressure on, stay engaged, and never stop questioning the world around us. We have the power and the responsibility to create a more just society for everyone. Let's make it happen. Yeah, talking freedom and liberation. Worldwide, not just only for the nation. A radical guide, it's time to make changes. Bringing interviews and radical education. Yeah, yeah, a better future, what we really need. Not rooted in capitalism or supremacy. Yeah, yeah, trust, you don't want to miss it. We bring the truth right to you. The past, present, and future. Let's go. A radical guide, that's what this is. Highlighting the diverse world of resistance. Let's go.